What's next for the Boston Celtics after their historic comeback falls short? And we check in at Fenway Park with the Boston Red Sox as all eyes turn to the Red Sox after the Celtics bail out of the NBA playoffs, one win short of the NBA Finals. This is the Press Pass. I am Chris Ryan. So the Boston Celtics came all the way back to get even with the Miami Heat ahead of Game 7 inside the TD Garden only to lay an absolute egg in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Jason Tatum hurt in the first offensive possession, rolled his ankle. That was later deemed an ankle sprain. And Jalen Brown, unable to pick up the weight, turned the ball over eight times for the Celtics. Role players for the Heat with huge shots, big three-pointers. Every run from the Celtics was answered by a big three-point shot from the Miami Heat, it seemed like. We're going to check in with the Celtics here in just a little bit, get their thoughts on what happened in this series post-game. And there's obviously a lot of questions about what's going to be the future for the Boston Celtics. Brad Stevens addressed some of that on Thursday. So a lot to get to here on the Press Pass today. I am Chris Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's start with Jason Tatum, who was clearly not himself after spraining his ankle in the first offensive possession of the game. It's not difficult to play at home. Uh, You know, we didn't play well the first two games at home this series. Uh, And they did. And, you know, uh, they played played well tonight and and we didn't. and you don't want it to be like that, right? You, it's called home court advantage for a reason. Um, but, you know, it's not difficult to play here. We got great fans. Uh, you know, I wish the outcome was different at home, home games for us. Can you describe just how much your mobility was limited by the ankle and kind of what it took for you mentally to kind of grind through it and still you know, play those minutes and, and do it in a significant way? I mean, I don't want nobody to feel bad for me. Uh, unfortunately, injuries are a part of this game. Uh, you know, and I've been fortunate enough, right, um, up until this point. You know, I've never missed games. I've played 95% of the games since I've been in the league. I've top two in minutes since I've been in the league. Um, it just was... You know, unfortunate fall tonight on the first play of the game and um, something I was trying to battle through uh, throughout the game. So one of the big reasons that Tatum's injury was so significant is because that he couldn't run the offense. He also didn't have Malcolm Brogdon at full strength because he had a partial tear in his right arm. So he couldn't run the offense, and that left just Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown as the ball handlers, and Brown seemed very uncomfortable in doing so during the course of this game. Here is Malcolm Brogdon postgame. I think that's something we'll look at in the offseason. Um, that's that's definitely a, a Joe question. Um, but for us, I think, we can, I think we can be better. I think we can... I think defensively is where the difference is for us more than anything. Um, whether or not you make shots, that was a game. Whether or not we made shots, if we got stops, we could stay in that game. That's not a team that's going to score 120 points. It's not a team that's going to get out in transition and beat you that way. Um, they're going to slow the game down and play in, in, in the half court. So if we can get stops, that's a game we can stay in even if we're not making shots. Um, but the fact of the matter is we didn't get stops. So that, that you know, ultimately was, was the death of us. 
Malcolm, as you reflect on this series, their frustration with Game 7, do you think back about the first three games? Get frustrated you got into this position and had to, given what happened in the first three games, or more frustrated with the outcome, obviously fresh here in Game 7? Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's all around frustrating. Um, the, the hole we put ourselves in, it's hard. No one's climbed out of that hole. Um, you know, and, and it was the same tonight. We couldn't climb out of the hole we created. I thought we showed how resilient we were, how good of a team we actually are, climbing out of it partially. Um, but not being able to finish it on your home floor, that's super disappointing. Um, and then getting beat in the way we got beat, um, they handled us tonight. So, um, you know, that's, that's definitely disappointing. Also talked with Derek White and Marcus Smart. Of course, White with the amazing tip-in with no time left uh, in Game 6 to save the Celtics season and push it to a Game 7. And Marcus and Derek, have you just kind of described the emotions of, of this moment? Because you mentioned it's been quite the journey for you guys to get to this point. And just kind of what are you feeling in this moment about the group that obviously everybody enjoyed being around each other so much? Yeah, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> like we said, I mean, it disappointed. Um, we fell short of the goal that we set at the beginning of the year. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that uh, this is one of the best locker rooms I've been around. And um, I got a lot of love and care for everybody in that locker room. So um, those moments we had off the court, I'll always remember. And um, on the court, we were... We were pretty good, but we fell a little short of our goal, and we got to find ways to get better. Um, like you said, we got to find the ways. You know, this this team has been through a lot. I've been here the longest, obviously. Um, and, um, you know, we continue to fight. I love these guys. I love going to work with these guys every day. Uh, the coaching staff, um, the organization is great. You know, um, we just got to find a way. We fell short as part of it. Um, you move on. You know, uh, we continue to fight, and that's all we can ask for. All right, Marcus Smart right there. So what's next for the Celtics? So Jalen Brown was asked about his future and really didn't offer much in terms of what he wanted to do moving forward. He's eligible for a Supermax extension, which will pay him nearly $60 million a year over four seasons uh, with the new CBA. It seemed like uh, Brad Stevens wants to move forward with Jalen Brown as he addressed the media. And Brad Stevens also wants to move forward with Joe Missoula, course was the maligned rookie head coach during the course of the postseason so the heat move on and the celtics are left to think about what next year is going to look like let's shift gears now to foxborough where the new england patriots held their first ota and patriots looked good by all accounts particularly on the offensive side bill o'brien taking over his offensive coordinator i don't want to read too much into these things but everybody seemed to be on the same page, and that's good news for the Patriots. DeAndre Hopkins released by the Arizona Cardinals. He's expected to meet with the Patriots early next week, and that would be pretty nice addition to the Patriots' receiving core. Now to the Red Sox as they welcome in the Tampa Bay Rays for four games. Rays have come back to earth a little bit, but still clearly the best team in baseball. Red Sox dealing with a difficult blow with Chris Sale as he awaits uh, news in regard to his MRI. He left the game on Thursday with left shoulder soreness. The velocity had dropped, and uh, he was taken out of the game. He did not meet with the media post-game. Red Sox young players have been fun to watch this season, in particular Jaron Duran, who's taken a big step forward in all aspects of his game after a disappointing 2022 campaign. One of the big reasons for him, he's enjoying it. 
talked with Jaron inside the Red Sox clubhouse. Jaron, it just seems like you're having so much fun playing the game right now. You had Nesson had you mic'd up the other night, and it's just like everything is like a constant smile. Um, where does that come from? Is just kind of a mindset that you wanted to you know, enjoy things a little bit more, and it kind of where is uh, where is the fun coming from in the game right now? Um, honestly, just hanging out with the boys and and just playing baseball. Honestly, I know that in the past I've I've been so critical of myself, and this year, like, I'm just trying to enjoy every moment and realize, like, I get to play in the big leagues, you know, and just trying to trying to have fun and smile as much as I can, and I have, like, a good group of guys behind me, which makes it so much easier. Everybody always asks, you know, does the game, does the fun come from having success, or does the success have from come from a mindset where you're just going to kind of let things go and enjoy each day, and how do you see it? Like, did you, were you kind of intentional in the fact that you were going to be less critical of yourself and you think you're having success because of that or has the success kind of bred more you know enjoyment for you uh yeah I would definitely say like being a lot easier on myself has led me to be more consistent and just have better um better games you know and better um success because I remember I watched a video of um, Byron Buxton and he punched out three times and then his fourth about he hit a homer a go-ahead homer and then he had a walk-off homer in his next at-bat, and he had an interview where he talked about, like, hey, like, it's, it's never over until your last at-bat's over. And, and, like, that really stuck with me. It's like, damn, he went three punches, and he was able to stay positive, keep working, play the game, and then hit two home runs that led them to win the game. So, like, that really inspired me to be like, you know what? Like, you, I could punch out three times, but, you know, if I have another at-bat, then I'm going to make that my best at-bat. Like on the road trip, there were a couple games where you know you weren't having the success that you had previous, and, but it seemed like you quickly responded to that and and put it in the past. Was that kind of a time where you you had that mindset where you know, maybe in the past you'd be a little too hard on yourself and a, and a, a little blip or just baseball being baseball becomes a slump? Yeah, I mean it, it's baseball. Everybody's going to go through their slumps. It's just about riding the wave and and limiting your downtime and and just getting back to your uptimes and. Yeah, it was just one of those moments where it's like a little punch in the face where pitchers are just dicing and they're spotting pitches up on you. You go back and look at it, and it's just a perfect pitch, and you're like, hey, man, just, sometimes you got to tip your cap. I mean, they're, they're in the big leagues for a reason, too, so they can't give me a cookie every time. How much of the rule changes benefited you when it comes to the, the running game where you always find, obviously, tremendous speed, but it feels like you're such a weapon because a base hit can quickly become a double or a, a triple, um, and that's, that aspect of your game has really been highlighted with the, the new rules? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pitchers are, pitchers are getting comfortable with the pitch clock, too, and they're learning to use it against pitchers, like even letting the clock go down to help freeze a runner and stuff like that. So, like, they're... They're learning their tricks of the trade, so it's fun to see the the cat and mouse game between pitchers and runners and pitch clock and freezing guys and stuff like that. So it's it's really fun to watch that happen. Yeah, how much do you enjoy that side of the game where again you have speed, they're gonna look to slow you down, but you know, you look at the success the teams have had here in the past with Jacoby Ellsbury, Shane Victorino, like those guys constantly put pressure on pitchers and helped Ortiz and Napoli and guys down the lineup, just talking about the thirteen team. Do you see yourself in that role where, you know, maybe you're not hitting at the top of the lineup, but you're gonna definitely create difficulty for the pitcher? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm always trying to cause havoc on the bases whenever I can get on and, and make sure I'm doing it in a smart way and not just running into outs, you know, and picking my times with Huddy, who's an outstanding base or base running guy with me, and we break down pitchers every single day, and it's it's fun to do that with him. 
other thing I want to ask you about is your fielding this year as well. Again, across the board, everything's been so good, but the jumps that you're getting on baseballs, the reads that you're getting on baseballs, what's you know led to uh, improvement in in that area? Where as a defensive outfielder, like you're making plays because of the jumps and the reads. Yeah, I mean it's just more comfortability, you know, just shagging. I remember Jackie told me, I'd always I tried picking Jackie's brain. He told me that I just would shag, and he's like, and then that's when you can learn what balls you can get to and. And you read the ball off the bat. Like, it's different from getting fungo reads because the coach is just flipping it. But live reads off the bat, or he said, was the most important thing. So it's just just getting more reps, you know. It's it's just about getting more consistency and, and just working on stuff in the outfield. So that's been kind of my thing. And just honestly just being more confident in myself that I can catch everything and, and just having that mindset that, like, any ball in the air, like, ooh, I'm going to go get that ball. So. A good view for the other side now. One of the best second basemen in baseball in Jonathan, India. Reds came in this week and took two of three from the Red Sox. What's it like playing at Fenway Park? And also how the rule changes affected second baseman. And we'll talk about the mental side of the game as well with Jonathan, India. Joe, one of the best second basemen in baseball in Jonathan, India here with the Reds against the Red Sox. What's the vibe that you get at, at Fenway? And how much do you enjoy playing in a park like this? Yeah, I mean, this is history, you know. I mean, I've always dreamed of playing here. Um, last year, I was here as well, so it's, you know, it never gets old because that's just how beautiful the stadium is and, you know, the fans, the energy it brings. Uh, the atmosphere is amazing. You, know, you have the big green monster when you're hitting, and, uh, you know, everything about this place is special, so I'm just blessed to be able to play here. It's rare that you can step in the ballpark and, you know, be in the same place as a Ted Williams, and people where people and players were 80 years ago, and everything looks pretty much, you know, exactly the same, and what are some of the things that a visiting player does to kind of take in the vibe mm-hmm. and the moment? Yeah, I, I just, you know, we all signed the Fenway wall, I mean, the Green Monster, uh, that's a big thing here, and... Uh, you know, we walked down that tunnel, walking to the dugout, and you could just tell the how old it is. You know, and how many, you just think of how many players walk down that tunnel. You know, uh, visiting teams. So, um, yeah, it's just cool to you know be able to step on the same field as, as Ted Williams and you know all those old-time players that were you know special in this game. And uh, now we're getting to do it. Is the schedule something that you enjoy? You know, having a little bit more diversity of, of teams, and obviously the NL Central is so good. You see those guys. We see a little bit less of the AL East here than we used to in the past. Um, do you like that, or would you rather have kind of familiarity of opponent and pitchers, and so be able to kind of you know get have a consistent right, uh, right. type of set? No, I think it's awesome that we, we're interleague now. We're playing, you know, everyone. I think it's very cool that MLB decided to do that. Um, you get a taste of every league. Um, in the um, in the in the MLB, so I think it's I think it's fun. You get to see all the ballparks now, and uh, yeah, I think it's good for us, good for competition. When you look at your play at second base, um, what are some of the things that kind of stand out to you in terms of the, the complexity of, of that position? Where you have plays obviously left, you're right, in, back, and and, f- and have to have kind of a fine you know, th- uh, throwing motion as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges when it comes to playing you know that position, and and how do you you know see yourself kind of in a role of the traditional you know and historic second baseman? Um, I think it's just you know the same. I, I try not to think of you know whole. It's different now. I think we just you know as an infielder, um, you just got to make the play. You know, no matter where you're positioned. You know, there's different positions now. Like where you position in the infield, there's no such thing as a straight up and play ball. Um, but yeah, I think it's just you know making plays and um, not forcing any plays. You know, just make the routine plays and and um, you know just you know being you know an athlete at the position. 
in the past, like obviously you're playing against Devers, you'd be out in right field right. basically. Do you do you like having you know a little more action, so to speak, where you have you know the ball would come, you have time to react to the ball. Obviously, out there, you're kind of doing the same thing, but not playing you know shift does that make things more entertaining for you a little more difficult how would you kind of define that i think it's just you know part of the game like i said i mean yeah they i have i've had this question with a shift do you think it would affect you as a second baseman would affect your athleticism i was like no you know what it's just like bringing it back to college or or high school you know just playing playing ball playing being an athlete you know getting good jumps to the ball um you know just playing the position the right way you know, not cheating, being in the outfield, uh, making it a little easier, uh, stealing hits from guys, you know. I think you just do it the old-fashioned way now, by diving and making plays. Last thing I want to ask you about was kind of you know, the approach of your generation of, of players when it comes to the mental side of the game, where you know, in the past players were some were free-flowing and like wanted to put every bat behind them and just kind of move forward, not overanalyze things. And others were like, very intense. And it seems like this generation of players, like there's a little bit more of like letting things go and being a little more free mentally, trying to focus on the, the fun of the game. So for you, how do you see yourself you know, as in that approach from a, from a mental standpoint to put yourself in the best position? Um, yeah, the mental side of the game is the biggest thing for me. I think... Um you know, obviously being even killed throughout every moment you have in the year, um, you know, not getting too down, not getting too up is big for me. But, you know, just remembering that, you know, the outcome is never, should never decide your attitude. You know, your attitude should decide the outcome. Um, you know, when if you have a good attitude, you know, always in this game and you're always cheering on your teammates and you're always, you know, staying in the game and staying present in every moment, I think the outcome will benefit you at the end. You know, obviously you fail a lot in this game, um, and it's easy to get caught up in the mental side saying, oh, this sucks, you know, um, I'm just not playing well, I don't want to do, you know, I want to press too hard, work harder. Um, I just think, for me, it's it's better just to stay even-keeled. You know, I know what type of player I am, let my ability play, and, you know, the outcome will work itself out at the end. Red Sox starters today expected to be Tanner Houck and Corey Kluber. Kluber has long been rumored to come to the Red Sox. It's not been a great year for him so far. He got booted to the bullpen, but uh, with the doubleheader today and also sales uh, situation, uh, very likely that he heads back to the rotation. Now, an opportunity to sit down with Red Sox starter and two-time Cy Young Award winner, Corey Kluber. So for years we heard about Corey Kluber coming to the Red Sox and it's something you always kind of wanted to do. Now that it's happened and you're here and you obviously have your relationships in this community already, what's it been like as compared to what you thought it would be? It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think that the the things you mentioned, um, you know, playing for this organization, uh, getting to play half our games in this ballpark and stuff uh, is a lot of fun. Um a really good group of guys a great staff um it's just it's been a pleasure this to this point just just coming to the ballpark every day yeah and when you look at this pitching staff how do you approach kind of the leadership side of things where i'm sure there are guys that along the way when you had you know that raw talent you're coming up um and and we're looking to you know, have guys send you in the right direction um how do you go about trying to to lead you know whether it's tanner or whether it's uh, garrett or cutter or some of the other young pitchers in the staff you know, I think I always try to default to to lead by example, and then if it if something builds out of that where a guy has a question, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk about pitching and, and the routine and all that kind of stuff. Um, but kind of letting my 
my work speak for itself. Uh, you know, I think that when I was younger, um, I think I learned so much just from watching other guys and from kind of picking up little pieces of what they did, whether it be a pitcher or a position player. Um, you know, I think some of the best lessons I learned were from guys like Jason Giambi, you know, uh, on the back end of his career when I played with him, but just still the discipline to go through, you know, a, a routine every single day to get himself ready. And even if it was just a day that he was, he might have an opportunity to pinch hit, um, you know, just the the day-to-day discipline that it took, um, that, things like that really made an impact on me. If you had to point to the reasons for your longevity, I mean, is that one of the, the biggest reasons or the biggest reason in your view, kind of the discipline, the focus? Like you seem like an individual that it has a job every five days, but there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes, and that's kind of the focus of your life. Um, or is it also, to a large degree, you've always been a pitcher. You've never had overwhelming velocity, and you've worked the corners. You've you know, worked uh, guys, obviously, as opposed to just blowing the ball by them. It's probably a combination, honestly. Um, you know, I think that I've always, I've always looked at it like I didn't, ever, I never viewed myself as being talented enough to just get by on that alone. You know, I felt like I had to, I had to outwork people in order to get to this level, and I felt like that's what I needed to do to stay here and ultimately have success. Um, and so I think that was always kind of my foundation of what I felt, you know, made me you know, the picture that I, that I was, that I am, whatever. Uh, and so I think that that's, you know, everybody's going to identify certain things that work for them. And I think I just identified over time that like, you like to talk about that discipline, the yes, you pitch every fifth day, but there's also a, there's a day one routine, a day two, three, four routine that goes into that to try to prepare you for that day that you actually do get to go out there and take the mound. So like 15, 16, 17, you were, if not the best, arguably one of the best pitchers of baseball on the other side, signing awards to prove it. So how did you weigh kind of the the push that I have to you know continue to maintain certain things with the uh, fact that you had already kind of gotten to the top despite not having you know overwhelming velocity? Well, I think that my drive never came from winning an award or you know things like that it was always trying to win a world series um still trying to win a world series uh you know i think putting the the team first approach makes it a lot easier to do that because even if you are feeling down you know you you realize that you still have a responsibility to your teammates to the organization to put your best foot forward that day to give them your best effort um you know and so i think that that taking that that broader view of things it can take pressure off it can it can free you up to not get so wrapped up in you know your own successes or your own failures things like that but it really just turns into doing the best that you can for everybody else that you know is trying to do the same for you a lot of guys will talk about have won championships uh, or have lost championships or, or done both. They'll say that the losses are ones that kind of carry them, carry with them more, and something they think about consistently. And of course, 2016 was one of the great World Series ever, but you were on the the wrong side of that from from your perspective. How much did that you know kind of weigh on you, and also you know drive you moving forward? You know, and also the decisions you made in playing with Yankees and Rays teams that opportunities to win championships maybe for less money you could have gotten other places how much has that experience kind of driven the last uh, five six years of your career a lot um, you know I, I think that fair or not you know I, I view it as it was a 
a failure personally for those reasons we just talked about, you know, like not being able to to get the job done, um, you know, pitching in game seven. Uh, I feel like that was a motivating factor for me personally. But then, like you said, also, like, you know, you, you feel like you're almost had a taste of it. Was that we're that close, one win away, things like that, and not quite able to to accomplish that, you know, to have that feeling that obviously makes you that much hungrier for it. Great insight there from Corey Kluber. Of course, Game 7 starter for the Indians back in 2016. The night the Cubs ended up winning their first World Series since 1908. It's been the Press Pass. I'm Chris Ryan.